Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. You see, we've been in this series called Table Talk. And and that series has simply been these different meals that Jesus Christ has had with all these different individuals in the Gospels. And every one of the meals that we've studied so far in this series, they all point to one ultimate meal. You go, what is that? The meal that we're all going to have in the kingdom of God with God himself. And guess what? God has saved a seat for you. That's the banquet that we're all headed for one day, the banquet of God. And whenever we as a church decide that we're going to join Christ in his move on this world, good news, you know what we're saying in this community? We're saving a seat for you as well. We're saving you a seat. Many of you are probably familiar with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody is probably one of the greatest preachers in American history. Um, But you may not know the the backstory of his life. Um, D.L., whenever he was, he was the youngest of... um, Um, seven children. And so whenever he was four years old, his dad died. But what made it even worse is that his mom was pregnant with twins. And so that means that here is this woman, a widow with nine children that she's trying to raise in the 19th century. You can imagine the poverty that D.L. Moody grew up with. Well, his oldest brother, Isaiah, you know, wanted to try to help out his mom the best way he knew how. And the only way he knew to do that is to give her one less mouth to feed. And so he ran away from home. Now, this just put a hole in her heart because she longed to see her son Isaiah again. In fact, every Thanksgiving, she would leave a seat empty, waiting for Isaiah to come back. Well, as the years went by, D.L. Moody became this amazing preacher. In fact, he was so popular that people, tens of thousands of people, would come listen to him preach. On one particular occasion while he was in Connecticut, the the room was so filled with people that the fire marshal said, no more, we can't allow another person in this room, it's just not safe anymore. And so as soon as he said, not one more person, the governor of Connecticut came to hear D.L. Moody and the fire marshal said, nope, I'm not even going to let you, the governor, in here. Well, that evening, a lot of people were turned away, including D.L. Moody's brother, Isaiah. He had come to hear his brother preach. And so D.L. Moody was actually sitting on the platform waiting to speak. And while he's waiting, this note was brought to him that said, you know, your brother Isaiah has been turned away. And he's like, I I can't turn my brother away. And so what does he do? Whenever he gets up to preach, he says, I'm thankful that all of you are here, but a lot of people were turned away because there's no more seats here in the house. But I'd like to say to the fire marshal, now that I am up, my seat is now available. And I'm sure he wouldn't mind allowing my brother Isaiah come in. And sure enough, they escort his brother in. They give this amazing embrace. And Isaiah sits in the seat. And D.L. Moody uses that as an object lesson as he preaches the gospel and says, that's exactly what Christ has done for us. Christ has saved a seat for us at the table of God so that you and I could be family. We could be brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Folks, 
That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk to you about how God has prepared a place for you. He has left a seat open for you. And we're going to discover this in Luke chapter 14. So in Luke 14, let me set this up for you, give you a little context, okay? In Luke 14, Jesus is invited to another meal. And at this meal happens to be given by a really prominent, elite kind of Pharisee, the the upper echelon, and all the people there in the household were all of the elite religious establishment. And so there's Jesus, and the Bible says they're all looking for a way that they can accuse Christ and find something wrong with Jesus. And so here's Jesus, and then no sooner does Jesus sit down that this man who is sick comes in. Now, it happened to be the Sabbath, and the Pharisees had this rule. You know what? You can't heal on the Sabbath because healing equals work and you can't work on the Sabbath. Now, obviously, these guys have never been sick before and they're looking down on the sick and they come up with that kind of rule because it's not God's rule book. It's, it's their rule book. And so Jesus sees this man and he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then he heals the man. And then he looks at them and says, really? Are you telling me, you know, if your son or an oxen falls in the well on the Sabbath, are you going to wait the next day to pull him out? Of course not, right? And they just sit there in stunned silence. And they're just so mad at Jesus. And so what Jesus does is he's going to point out the hypocrisy of their life. And he's going to say, you know what? You guys, you, you, you only love the elite established religious people just like you. And he says this. Check it out. Look at it. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. He also said to one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner... Don't just invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor and maimed and lame and blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is saying, you know, in essence, hey, guys, thanks for inviting me. But I notice in this room that you only invite people that are the rich and the healthy and the famed people here. You know what? Whenever you throw a a banquet, why don't you invite people that, you know what, can't bless you back, can't reciprocate, can't, can't, you know, bless you because you bless them. Why don't you invite in the poor next time you have a meal? Because God's going to reward you when you do that in the kingdom of God. And as soon as Jesus says that, well, one of the religious people there in the establishment, they come up with this, you know, great statement. It's found in verse 15. Look at what he says. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he says, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah, he says this platitude, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, you want to talk about the kingdom of God? I love, so glad you brought that up. Because The kingdom of God is my favorite subject. If you're familiar with the Gospels, it says everywhere Jesus went in all the villages, he preached the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus taught us to pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says that there's coming a day when, guess what? Heaven and earth is going to be reconciled. When God comes and he comes to rule and reign as the Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus is coming back. And guess what? Everything that's wrong with this world, and there's a lot wrong with this world, is going to be made right. And that's going to happen at this moment of celebration, this banquet for the Lord. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Look at how it's described in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, has prepared herself. 
Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Folks, what a day that's going to be. When Jesus Christ rules and reigns, we're going to have this amazing banquet around the throne with Jesus Christ. That's going to be amazing. But you know what? You are invited. You're invited. Turn to the person next to you and just say, you are invited. You are invited. You're invited. But you know what? There's a lot of people. They reject the invitation. Check it out. You go, who would do that? Well, you can see. Verse 16. Jesus basically tells a parable. Verse 16. Then he told him, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. That man represents God. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited, come, because everything's now ready. But without exception, they all begin making excuses. The first one said to him, I bought some field and I must go out and see it. I ask for your excuse. Excuse me. Verse 12. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I got to try them out. I ask that you excuse me. Verse 20. Another one said, I just got married and therefore I might not be able to come. So the servant came back and reported those things to his master. Then in anger, this is God, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring them here. The poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Master, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges, compel them, make them come in so that my house may be filled. And verse 24 is in concluding thought. Here it is, ready? Verse 24. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Now those are some sobering words that Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, isn't it? In essence, Jesus is saying, you know what? You guys, you're, you're all about your platitudes. Oh, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, you're not even going to be there. You go, what? Yeah, it's almost like Jesus pulls a defibrillator out on the banquet that day and said, hey, um, blessed is the one. Well, guess what? You're not going to be there. Clear. Boom. Right? And, and then, not only that, you know what? They're, they're really taken back by the statement of how Jesus describes this banquet. Check it out. Look again. Verse 24. Not one of those people who were invited will enjoy, look at it, my banquet. Jesus doesn't say the banquet of God. He doesn't say the banquet of heaven or the banquet. He says it's my banquet. Folks, if you reject me, you reject heaven. Ready? Clear. Boom. That's what he's saying here, right? He's saying, do you get what you're doing here? You're all about the kingdom of God. How can you say you love the kingdom of God and you don't love the king? See, it's going to be hard to avoid Jesus in heaven, folks. It's his, right? And so here they are. Jesus lays out this future banquet that he's going to have in the kingdom of God. Now, from this passage, I want us to draw a couple principles for our lives and especially our church here today. And I want you to jot them on your outline. Very first principle is this. Jot this down. Number one is this. God has a love for everyone. God has a love for everyone. That's what we've been studying in every one of our messages in the um, you know, Table Talk series. Jesus loves the woman at the well. Jesus loves you know, the outsider like Levi. Jesus loves you know, the prostitute who's weeping at Jesus' feet. Jesus loves the busy woman like Martha. He, he loves the tax collector Zacchaeus. He loves the failure, the guy who denies him, Peter. I mean, every one of the stories we have seen is Jesus reaching to the outside saying, I love these people, right? 
And he repeats it again. Look at it. It's found in verse 13. When you host a banquet, invite who? Those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. Basically, all the people you guys have been rejecting, those are the ones that are going to be in the kingdom of God. And then he repeats that same idea again. Verse 21. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city. Bring in here who? The poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them, compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Folks, the heart of God is his heart beats for you, yes, but his heart beats for everybody else that's outside these walls. That's the heart of God. He loves these people. Folks, that's what this Reach 2020 is all about. This isn't about building facilities. This is about reaching more families for Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. I mean, think about it. Every aspect of our 2020 vision is about us reaching an unreached people group in this city. You go, in what way? Well, we're going to build a new Creekside building. Why? So that we can continue to reach the next generation. Think about it. The millennials, they're the most unchurched people group in American history. 35% of millennials think that church is harmful, and yet our church is reaching them in massive ways. This is unheard of, and yet God's doing it here. That's why we want to grow in that area. I mean, why are we going to build a coffee house? Because we're going to try to reach people that will never walk through the doors of this church. We're going to reach them there. I mean, what are we going to do? We're going to take all the proceeds, the profits of our coffee house, and we're going to do what? We're going to pour that into inner city ministries, those that are poor and those that have been maimed by life. Why? So that we can reach them for Christ. Why are we going to buy land in Appleton? Why? Because it's the fastest growing area in this county, and we want to reach them for Jesus Christ. This whole campaign is not about us. It's what Jesus told us to do. Look at it, verse 23. Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in. Why? So that my house may be filled. Folks, God's heart beats for this world. Our heart has to beat for this world. What God wants to do is not just what happens in these four walls, but outside these four walls as we reach the city for Jesus Christ. So that's the first principle. God has a heart and love for everybody. But here's the second reality. This is the sad reality. Number two is this. We have a love for self. We have a love for self. Now, don't be shocked. (gasps) Not me. Oh, yeah. You and me. I mean, left to our own devices without the Spirit of God, we are basically all self-centered. We are. We are. And in fact, basically, I would, I would look at it like this. It's almost like we go through life with a mirror, right? Except it's faced this way. We're looking at ourselves. Oh, what's in it for me, right? Now, I can see you, and I can see everything that's going on around us, but you know what? I always look at everything around through the lens of me. How's this going to affect me? What's in it for me? How's this going to benefit me? How is this going to exalt me? And what Jesus does in this passage, he confronts the self-centeredness of the religious elite. Look at it again. Look what he says, verse 12. He says, when you give a lunch or dinner, don't just invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and look at it, and you would be repaid. Jesus is saying, look, I know how you guys are. You're selfish. You're only going to be nice to people that are going to be nice to you. You're only going to be kind to people that are going to be kind to you. You're only going to greet people that will greet you. You're only going to love people that are going to love you. You're only going to scratch the back of somebody that's going to scratch your back. That's selfishness. You have meals, sure enough, but they're meals of selfishness. Did you know that we can have that same tendency? I mean, um, several weeks back, I got an email 
And a person just bluntly said that. He says, you know what? I hear what you're doing in this campaign, but, you know, um, I don't see any benefit from me. And he goes, because think about it. I mean, I don't have any youth or children, and um, I don't even know anybody in the inner city, and I don't live in Apison, and I don't even drink coffee. And so I wrote back, this ain't for you, right? It's not for you. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. It's for those individuals who have never walked through the doors of this place. That's what this is all about. It's reaching those who don't know Christ yet. See, we have this tendency to selfishness. And selfishness, listen, will keep you from following after Christ. It will. In fact, Jesus gives us three examples of this. I put it on your outline. Distractions that keep us from following Christ. What are these distractions? Well, there's three that Jesus lists. First is possessions, right? Our stuff. I don't have time for you, Jesus. I've got my stuff to worry about. Verse 18. But without exception, they all begin to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. And Jesus, I got too much stuff. I got all this stuff I got to focus on. I got my house and my land and my car and my clothes and my cable. I ain't got time to hang out with you, Jesus. I got my stuff to worry about, right? First excuse. Second excuse is work. Work. We're just too busy for God anymore, right? We got all this busyness in our life. Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. He says, I've got this, this new thing for my business and I gotta go try it out. You see, Jesus, I ain't got time for you. I got a business to run. I ain't got time for you, Jesus, right? Third excuse is relationships. I got my family I gotta think about. Look at it, verse 20. Another said, I just got married, therefore I'm unable to come. What's interesting about this guy He doesn't say, please excuse me. He just simply says, I got married. Need I say more, right? That's it, right? There it is. Now, let me just quickly add here. There's nothing wrong with these three things. There's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with relationships with marriage. Of course not. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what can happen is those things that are good things can become God things. And then they become bad things. They become little gods in our life. They become idols, and they distract us from really following after Christ. We know the very first of the Ten Commandments, right? What is it? God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Christ says, I am to be first in your life. And yet, because most of us go through life looking what's in it for me, the grid of selfishness, we're not going to follow after Christ. We're not. We're not going to obey him. I've seen this so many times that selfishness almost always leads to stinginess. It is. I hear people say it like this. Well, this is my stuff. I worked hard for my stuff, and I'm not going to give any of my stuff to the church or to the kingdom of God because this is my stuff, right? Or it's put out like this. Like, you know, Pastor Tony, love to give, but just can't. Don't have any extra money. Well, let me just quickly add, none of us have any extra money. I mean, think about it. None of us got money laying around we can give to the kingdom of God. We don't. So what does that mean? That means that all of us, because we all live paycheck to paycheck, what does that mean? It means, okay, I've got to give up something that I love for someone I love more. See, that's the definition of sacrifice. What is it? I'm going to give up something that I love for someone that I love more. We do this all the time as parents, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, for your kids, what do you do? You sacrifice all the time. You're going to give up your time for their ball game. You're going to give up their your money for their welfare. 
You're going to give up your comfort for, for their comfort and their convenience, right? And we do this as parents all the time. And it's not a big deal because that's part of life. You give up something that you love for someone you love more. Well, I'm just asking you to pray. God, what sacrifice do you want me to make so that I can join you in reaching this city? Now, what does that look like? I want you to hear a testimony of one of our members who really captures the heart of really Christ and his desire to reach the city. And she realized, I'm going to give up something that I love for someone that I love more. Listen to the testimony of Jennifer Osmond. So last week, um, my husband and I were sitting in service listening to Pastor Tony talk about the 2020 vision and he started talking about what you could give up and what you could give and and what that looked like for for every person and so my husband and I had been discussing for a good number of years um, kind of renewing our wedding vows we spent the first 10 years of our marriage living of the life that had been modeled to us and so it was, it was kind of dramatic. It was, you know, lots of loss, lots of ups and downs. And about 10 years into our marriage, I told Luke that I wanted a divorce. I was just finished. Um, a friend invited us to, to pause and just, and just wait a minute. And she asked us if we would let her pastor come to our house and, and kind of talk to us about maybe a different way to, to live life. She told me, you've tried everything else. So why not at least give this a shot? Um, and so we did and, and he spent some time in our home and, and to make a very long story short, we decided to, give Christ a shot. And so we spent probably the next year coming to the realization that the problem with our marriage was not with our marriage, but the problem was with us. We were so proud of all of the things that Christ has done um, to us individually and through our marriage that we could shout it from the rooftops. So when we thought about what our wedding, a wedding vow renewal meant to us, it was about showing the world what Christ can do with a marriage. When Pastor Tony started talking about Vision 2020 and really casting the vision of how how many people he could reach, how many people Christ could reach, um, through this vision, we began to kind of almost get this picture of what it would be like to no longer invest in our own wedding, but rather to invest in the eternal wedding of Christ, to be able to extend the invitation beyond just our friends and family and to embrace it and, in, and invite an entire community. And so our family is going to take the money that we've set aside for our 20th wedding anniversary next year, and we're giving it to Christ and his and his wedding supper isn't that awesome can we just praise the lord together i love jennifer and their heart you know the first time i saw that it just brought tears to my eyes because i'm like that's it that's it we're going to give up things that we love so that others who don't know christ can be part of the marriage supper that's what jesus says go out into the highways and byways compel them to come in see here's a simple reality we're all sitting in a building that most of us didn't pay for ourselves. Most of you here are sitting in a sanctuary that people from a previous generation sacrificed so that you could be here today to worship the Lord. In fact, I want you to visually maybe see this. 
Um, in, in 1996, I mean, Susan and I have been here for 22 years. In 1996, um, we did a campaign called Journey of Faith. And that's where we built sort of this sanctuary. It was much smaller back then, but, you know, we built this sanctuary. And it was huge sacrifices that we made. Um, if any of you were here in 1996 and you sacrificed and gave to this campaign, would you just stand just for a second? Just stand just for a second so that we can see. Anybody here from 1996? Okay. There's a few folks there. Okay. Now, I want you to understand something. You're looking around. That was, um, you know, 20-some-odd years ago. Our church ran about 600 back then, okay? Today, we have nine worship services, and this weekend we'll have over 4,000 people. Great is your reward. Do you understand? A previous generation sacrificed for this generation. All I'm asking is for you to join the legacy of God, for you to say, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, again... I've been a part of six building campaigns here. And with every campaign, I've just asked the Lord, Lord, what sacrifices do you want us to make? In one campaign, I felt like, Susan, I felt like we were to give a year of our retirement, that we were going to give toward retirement and give it to the campaign. It was a huge number. And um, we said, okay, we're going to do that. Here's the ironic thing. That year, the stock market crashed. I would have lost it all. But I didn't lose any of it because I gave it to the kingdom of God, you know? In, in one campaign, we were, because um, our, our kids were growing and we're out of room in our house, we we're going to buy a bigger, larger house and how much that was going to cost us. And we're like, you know what? As we prayed about it, why don't we renovate the house we got and, um, you know, take the difference and give it to the Lord? In, in another campaign, you know, we just said, God, um, you know, could you just allow our cars to run three more years? And He did. I remember once we talked to our kids about sacrifice and we said, hey, you know, what can we give as a family? And, and one of them said, you know what, we eat out for lunch after church every Sunday. Why don't we just eat at home for the next three years and give the difference? And we did. And can I tell you something? Without exception, it was joyous. It was a sacrifice, but it wasn't a sacrifice because it was an act of worship to the Lord. Now, I could give you hundreds of examples of this in the history of our church now, I put on your outline, basically, you know, on the bottom there, ways others have sacrificially given. And so as you're praying, you know, this may be one of your ways. Uh, the main way is lifestyle adjust adjustment. You know, money that you would spend on yourself or your entertainment or dining out or gifts or vacations. You say, okay, you know, we're going to cut back on that and give part of that to the Lord. I had a couple this past week come to my office and they said, Pastor Tony... Um, this summer is our 30th wedding anniversary. We planned this long um, vacation in California, real elaborate. We really feel like we don't need that vacation. We're going to give this to the kingdom of God. Um, so lifestyle adjustments. Others is delayed expenditures. You postpone acquisition of cars or furniture or clothing or remodeling, whatever it may be. Um, Another one is bonuses and raises. I've seen this so many times. People commit their bonuses to the Lord, and then they go, man, that bonus was bigger than I ever imagined it was going to be. It's always crazy how God does that, isn't it? Another one is savings and annuities, and so many times people have given stocks to the Lord. Or some people do additional work. They may take a second job, or they may come back out of retirement. Years ago, during one of our building campaigns, one of our deacons, he's already gone on to be with the Lord, Benny Eves, he came to me, and he had recently retired from Chattanooga Lumber, and he said, Pastor, I want to give to this campaign so I'm going back to work so I can give. 
Just last week, I had one lady in our church who, you know, basically is retired and she's going to work again part-time. And she said, the plan was, is that, you know, all the money I was going to get in my part-time work, I was going to buy new furniture for our house. But then she says, you know what, as I've been praying about this, I don't need new furniture for my house. I want to see new souls come into the house of God. And so she committed that to the Lord. I mean, um, you know, some people will sell assets. When you read the book of Acts in the early church, you see that happening again and again. People will sell land or houses or they'll sell boats and cars. And I've seen so many people sell so many things. Just a few weeks back, I had a couple come to me and they said, you know, Pastor Tony, the very first Sunday that you talked about Reach 2020, we left the service and immediately this land came to our mind. And so we immediately, you know, called a realtor friend, and within one week, it was sold. It's already closed. And they go, here are the proceeds that we feel like God's called us to give to this campaign. I mean, that's, that's how the early church turned the world upside down, with looking at their stuff as though it belongs to God and not themselves. I mean, some of you may do a garage sale. I don't know what God's calling you to, but what I've asked you to do is just pray. An amazing thing, when God speaks to you, suddenly you're... Your giving is not drudgery, it's an act of worship. In fact, I've asked you to pray this way. You've seen it already. Um, you know, basically, Lord, how do you want me to give, right? Lord, how do you, you know, what do you want to do? How do you want to give through me? And so this is what I want you to do. I want all of you here, if you could just um, take out this Reach 2020 commitment card. I know that many of you for seven weeks have been praying about this already, and you've already come, and you've already written down, and you're prepared to commit this to the Lord in worship, which is exciting, you know. Um, but there's others of you that, you know what, today, you may just write down there, okay, this is the commitment I feel like God's leading me to do. It may be this is how much I'm going to give a week or a month, or this is the total amount. I don't know how it's all going to break down. But I want you to see on the bottom right-hand corner of that card. You could look at that real quick. It says, Note. Notice it says, note, this is a statement of intent and may be altered as circumstances warrant. You go, what does that mean? That means that ultimately this is between you and the Lord, right? And we don't know what the future holds, but in good faith, we feel like God's leading us in this particular way and we're going to make this commitment. But ultimately it's between you and the Lord. Now you may go, well, it's between me and the Lord. Why should we turn in this commitment card? Because the simple reality is, is that we as a church leadership don't know the level of your commitment. And we don't know what buildings we should build or not build. And we'll only know that by your commitment card, okay? And so we just ask that you, um, you just ask the Lord. Now, there's a principle that I've shared many times. And look up it on the screen. It's not equal gifts, but it's equal sacrifice. You go, what does that mean? That means that we're all going to give different amounts. We're not all going to be able to give the same amount. There are some of us that have ability to give a great deal to this and others that just don't. We're on different levels of financial, you know, places in our lives. It can't be equal gifts, but it can be equal sacrifice, right? And, and so as you're praying, I just want you to just pray. Okay, God, what do you want this to look like? And in fact, on the back of your card, there's sort of a little guide there that helps, okay? If you give this much a week, you know, and that's what it's going to equal up, you know, in a, in a two-year period of time. You can see this chart on the screen. We anticipate that we're going to need about 55 larger gifts, you know, 100,000 and 90,000 and 70,000 and, you know, all the way to 15,000, at least 55 of those. Um, now, I share that because I realize not everybody can give that, but some of you can. I want you to pray about that. I want you to know that one of those larger gifts, Susan and I are committed to doing that. Now, I share that not to boast, but to simply say, if I'm going to lead you in sacrifice, I want you to know that your pastor is sacrificing as well and believes in this. 
It's not equal gifts, but it is equal sacrifice. And so how are you supposed to pray? Well, this simple prayer. Look it up on the screen. Lord, what do you want to give through me? That's, it's a totally different prayer than normally how we pray. What can I give? Well, whenever you pray, what can I give, that just simply means, okay, you ain't gonna give much. Why? Because you, you can't. In your own resources, your own mind, you, you can't give. But whenever you say, Lord, what do you want to give through me, then it's the God is the one who's giving. It's God that's one who's generating. And whenever you hear from the Lord and then you respond in faith, you enter into a realm, a supernatural realm. And it's amazing. Suddenly your giving is blessed by God and it's joyful rather than a drudgery. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.